0: Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and Prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting Coinbase.com Prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin Industry Award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, CrossRiver's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at CrossRiver.com crypto. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. ladies and gentlemen welcome to the scoop i'm your host frank chaparro editor at large at the block and oh my goodness it has been quite the 24 hour period i got back from a little quick trip to florida i got to my house in new york and immediately i get a dm that celsius after some speculation over the weekend had announced that it was suspending withdrawals and transfers between accounts. And that just sent the crypto world into a tailspin. I mean, when I went to bed last night, we were hurtling towards 25000 per Bitcoin. And then when I woke up three hours later, we were close to 23000 And it hasn't gotten that much better since then. So I thought we need to have a show. We need to just hash this out, talk about it, and we're really lucky it's a treat honestly to have on the other side of the mic someone that i've wanted to get on the show for the longest time jim greco ceo at f9 research the crypto hedge fund jim thanks for coming on the show
1: frank thanks for uh, having me on and just at the top want to say welcome back to new york city I know you took like a detour living in Florida for a little bit. You know, I'm a perennial New York City booster. It's good to have you back in the greatest city in the world. And in my mind, you know, sort of the center of crypto, you know, for the world really ever since the uh, pandemic began.
0: You are probably, outside of Eric Adams, the biggest advocate for the Big Apple and possibly played a small role in my triumphant Return, but I will, you know, I, I think uh, in, in a Michael Corleone fashion, I might be gripped back by the uh, Florida shores at some point every now and again. So, Jim, I mean, we could have a whole podcast talking about your storied career and we can probably touch on some of it, but for folks who are maybe unfamiliar with the sort of market structure expertise that you've crafted over several decades through various jobs and roles. Walk us through that story arc and how you got to finding F9 before we kind of tap into these headlines.
1: Yeah, it's been a long and winding road with a lot of unexpected twists and turns and opportunities along the way. I started at Gecko about a dozen years ago. Gecko is kind of like a firm you've never really heard of outside of finance, but they were at the time the largest high-frequency trading firm. You know, I, I started as a software developer in their equities dark pool team. So like I helped kind of build the matching engine that you know, we had, you know, a couple hundred customers who interacted with our liquidity every single day. I did that for about a year there. And then I drew the short straw among the developers for going over to. U.S. rates. So uh, at the time, you know, equities was very advanced. We had 13 exchanges. We had 50-some dark pools, lots of sophistication, lots of complexity on the technology side of things. In fixed income and rates, we had CME Futures, we had BrokerTech, and we had eSpeed, which were two sort of like treasury exchanges. And that was it, you know, so it was kind of like a backwater for technology, so I, I moved over to that team, I you know helped build sort of our customer franchise from the software perspective. Then I sort of took over trading on that platform and sort of gradually became you know more and more of an algo trader from there on throughout my career. I went over to kind of Jeffries briefly and I uh, sort of started their algo trading team. They were a very new primary dealer at the time and mostly just answering customer requests by phone so I helped electronify a lot of that. I started my own U.S. Treasury tra- exchange called Direct Match back in 2014. And then like have been sort of involved in the crypto ecosystem in one way or another, kind of really since late 2015.
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of put it well before we turn on the mics. You have have effectively sat within the pipes and plumbings of Wall Street. Let's try to connect that to what's just happened, you know, over the course of the last 24 hours. If you think about like the juxtaposition between crypto markets and stocks, at least the sense I get is they're all being driven downward by the Fed. But if you look at, let's say, like s and I think it's down 20% year to date. It's down 20% or something around that. Bitcoin, around 50%. So it's about double the drawdown. How much do you think that's tied to the pipes and plumbings of the crypto market? The inability, in some instances, to access different financial services providers, to top up on your collateral, to even get into an exchange, the amounts of leverage that's in the system. Like, how much of this is market structure related versus maybe something else?
1: I certainly think there is a market structure component. You know, I think at the end of the day, cryptocurrency is a very inefficient ecosystem because we just don't have sort of banks involved with their large balance sheets that are able to support prices either themselves or through sort of hedge funds and asset managers that use their services and use their balance sheet for it. However, I think it's a little overstated on the actual market structure component of what the sell-off has been about. I think it's largely a macroeconomic story. And really ever since the end of last year, we've been dealing with a huge inflation story. And what started out as transitory, we all remember that phrase, became sort of a supply side problem, meaning that like oh, we can't get chips from China, or this is like a reopening story. And I think there is actually like a lot of truth to that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because unfortunately with inflation, like these expectations become entrenched and now consumers believe in the inflation story, right? So it's like now I think like consumer expectations of like what inflation is a year from now is 5%. Whereas before it was running at two to three percent, and if you see that, you know, if you're a consumer and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to have less dollars in my bank account next year due to inflation," like I better spend them now. That sort of just feeds on its cycle and becomes a bad feedback loop. Here's the thing, though: inflation is going to be over in a year's time, approximately. However, we're not going to like how we get there because the Federal Reserve is going to come in. And they're going to raise 50 basis points at this next meeting. They're probably going to signal they're going to raise 75 at the follow up.
0: Some people in the street are saying we'll see 100.
1: It's all on the table. I think they've been very credible about this will be 50, but like it's coming. Like whether it comes now or whether it comes two months from now at the following meeting, it doesn't really matter. Like, I mean, the Fed is going to basically induce a recession in order to kill this inflation. And that is going to happen relatively quickly, and it's going to be extremely painful for risk assets, right? And so I think, like, we have seen the stock market sell off. We've seen crypto sell off. At one point in time, I think there was this story that crypto and Bitcoin in particular was this sort of inflation hedge. I think we all know that is, like, not the case now. Crypto trades like a risk asset. It has traded like a risk asset as long as I've been in this, this industry, definitely did since you know the 2017 run up and beyond. When is the price of Bitcoin going to turn around? It's probably going to turn around at the same time the Nasdaq turns around and starts going up again. So I think that's the unfortunate headwinds. It doesn't help, though, that there's all these other like crypto-specific headwinds, like piling on top of the macroeconomic trends. And we can go into a few of those, but we have seen this in, you know, what's happened with sort of the story around old coins. We've seen this with the sort of the Celsius and then before that, the UST and Luna debacle. So it's been sort of the worst of both worlds for cryptocurrency.
0: Yeah. Enter stage left, Luna. Enter stage right, Celsius. The one thing I think that might be different, at least, I assume from your perspective, given on some of the stuff we've talked about, the casualties in crypto might be a bit more apparent, or it might be a bit more sticky in terms of some of these, uh, you know, fallen angels. Maybe, you know, you look at something like Netflix is down seventy some odd percent. A bunch of different tech companies, and Goldman is still saying that equities are overvalued if you look at you know P ratios and, and all those different types of metrics, we're still frothy. But unless we get into some sort of really intense recession, I think most of those big names will survive. Whereas the big names in crypto, from your perspective, outside of ETH, Bitcoin, it's still a question. It's still a question if Solana exists to an extent or if some of these other blue chips, not to pick on anyone in particular, but it's all on the table. Or am I, I think or is that's that correct. too dramatic of a, a synthesis? No, I,
1: I think there's I think there's been a huge shift in mindset between last fall and today on sort of the viability of these altcoins. And by altcoin, I don't just mean like some hundred million dollar market cap coin. I mean, the three biggest after Bitcoin and Ethereum, Solana, AVAX, and Luna, right? What did they they used to call that? Solavax? I think um, so, yeah. Luna's obviously gone. Solana has fallen from 250 into the 20s today. Avalanche is in the teens. I think, like, the story of, like, do these chains offer anything unique in value beyond what Bitcoin and Ethereum offer? I think the story is very, very challenged right now. I think like Solana's had a ton of stability problems. I think Ethereum in a bear market is actually not that expensive to transact and actually can be quite quick. And so the story around like using Avalanche or using certain layer two chains is very diluted. And so, you know, long term, like, will these things survive, you know, beyond the bear market? Maybe in some extent. I mean, Litecoin still exists, right? And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, other sort of like, or Gen 1 altcoins still exist. But will they ever have the share that they have today? I think the story is is really out there.
0: Yeah, maybe it's less a question of whether or not they'll make a comeback in terms of market cap, but will they still kind of serve as a collective zeitgeist of the market, right? Those three coins in particular really were the darlings there for a while. And I think that's a important nuance to point out there, the difference between value and sort of, I don't know, maybe headline value to sort of make up a phrase. Now, I want to ask how, as an investor, you navigate That sort of environment. It sounds like maybe you just park everything in ETH, dollar costs average into ETH over the next, you know, year and Bitcoin as well, or maybe just keep it in those sweet, precious stables. But before we get into that, I want to maybe posit or present perhaps a tailwind, which is some of the projects that we've mentioned, is there a bid or is there a bidder in some of these funds that have raised in some cases, tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions, and then in, in the case of uh, A16Z, billions of dollars, does that create some sort of floor? Or are they likely, or are they also kind of, you know, let, let's find our own green pastures? It's a great
1: question because, yeah, as you said, A16Z raised $4.5 billion. There are other multi-billion dollar funds, Katie ons right? That money has to be deployed, and it has to be deployed relatively quickly within two to three years. And so it's going to go somewhere. It's probably not going to go into Bitcoin, right? This is why VCs are relatively bearish on Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ecosystem, because there's just like not much to invest in they're probably going to go towards these chains that have a lot more upside or a lot more, you know, opportunity to be sort of innovative with the projects that you back. And so there will be a lot more investment in these companies that are going to be building on top of these chains. So that's that's sort of the counter narrative. That being said, like it doesn't matter how much investment is going to be into these alternative chains if nobody is using them right and i think like that's what we've really seen particularly in the defi ecosystem over the last 6 months you know you know our, our firm has been following the space very very closely and you have just seen like all of the yield farming that was so hot last summer you know the yields are tremendously down active participation by people is 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 down big all this sort of reward and incentive structure for doing that is down. I think investors have been burnt um, you know, by a few different firms, I think, and like they have grown tired of the ecosystem. And so, you know, it, it's a good question of like where is that money going to flow if there are, you know, if there are no users. And, you know, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to watch because that money does have to get deployed. Maybe it ends up getting deployed towards more institutional companies, right? You know, like you could pump billions of dollars into the likes of BlockFi and Fireblocks because they have such high valuations to begin with, right? And so maybe you just see much, much more investments there. Well, uh, I'm sure they they're praying for the- it,
0: Jim. <laughs> I mean, if 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 you think about who the darlings are. Or of this market, it's looking pretty grim. Again, not to be dramatic, but BlockFi, I mean, you had Dan Loeb was uh, I don't know if he ended up writing a check, but at least was prepared to invest in that firm. They were all lined up to I'm not sure if it was ever reported out that they ultimately raised at five billion, but they at least were going to or did. They had raised at three before that and now raising a down round at $1 billion and then laying off 20% of their workers. Coinbase, I looked at, we had a chart done up of all the publicly traded crypto equities, which is a, a weird turn of phrase. And they're down the most. They're down worse than MicroStrategy, which is uh, pretty interesting to me, at 48 some odd dollars a share they were trading at this morning. They had to freeze all of their hiring. So these are the blue chip companies all struggling. It's not just, you know, and then of course you have Celsius. I don't even know what the light at the end of the tunnel is for them. So if we think about your background, like the HFT world, obviously less retail focus, but they went through their own sort of compression and fees, compression and revenue, consolidation, shaking out. So you've kind of seen a similar type of story play out. And then obviously, you know, you kind of were in your career during the financial crisis. How do you see crypto shaking out? There's no seemingly like strong player who everyone seems to be dealing with their own issues. And so where do we go?
1: Yeah, everybody is dealing with their own issues, just the same as like all these public companies like Netflix and Zoom are dealing with their own issues, like the highest quality of high quality crypto companies could do no wrong last year, right? Like they could raise at any valuation, they were making tons of revenue, they're adding new customers all the time. And now we're in a down market and like revenue is probably down and customer acquisition is down and sort of the financing has become more difficult and really like you can do no right and you have to start laying off people and that creates its own sort of feedback loop. And so this is just an adjustment that we're going to have to go through, you know, I think like were these companies ever worth 10 billion dollars or whatever the valuation was? Probably not. You know, I think this was just investors looking at sort of the direction of volumes and volatility last year, projecting out as if that wouldn't stop into 2025. But now we've had a huge correction and like it's pretty clear like what those projections into 2025 look like now and they're not anywhere close and companies have you know really two choices right they can either batten down the hatches and so they can lose employees and they can cut expenses or they can raise money at a much lower valuation than they raised it last year or you do something like a combination of the two and I think the strongest companies will survive, you know. Like we've talked about BlockFi. I think BlockFi is a fantastic company. I think Zach is a is a great leader over there. I think it's like incredibly difficult to like hit the bid on a down round just because it affects you personally and affects all your employees, you know, like it affects your earlier investors. So like that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And like he's doing it to make sure that the company like gets through this phase. So that they can like, you know, when the market, the market starts to turn around next year, like they're going to be in a great position. And then there's going to be other companies that are just going to like, you know, they're going to do like half-assed solutions there. And they're just like not going to survive. You mentioned HFT, like this happened very much in my career, right? In Gecko in 2008, we had 200 employees. We made uh, eight hundred million dollars in revenue, six hundred million dollars in profit. It was just like we could do no wrong; money was just raining from the sky. Right by two thousand thirteen, when the company bought Night to go public, the profit was down to about twenty five million or so. So, like that's how quickly sort of fortunes can kind of change in this industry. And if you're not willing to adapt and you know adjust you know, you can very quickly sort of be set aside. And I think there was like examples of companies that went the other direction, right? So I think jump trading, which is huge in crypto, they were a much, much smaller player in 2008 than Gecko was. They completely retooled their organization to do much less of a technology focused trade and much more of a quantitative focused trade. And they came out to be now, you know, many, many times larger than sort of Gecko ever was. And so like, it is possible to use these sort of downtimes and bear markets to sort of really retool your organization, refocus and come out way stronger than than you might've been before. You know, another good example of this, like outside of crypto is like Airbnb, right? Think about at the beginning of the pandemic, is Airbnb going to survive? They hadn't gone public yet. They did deep cuts of like 25% of their company, they cut all their expenses. And then a year into the pandemic, suddenly like their whole business is on fire because they've really retooled and focused. And so I think you're gonna see a lot of that in crypto. The companies that are leaders today, what they do in the next three months is really going to determine if they're going to survive and thrive in the next three or four years.
0: Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling and rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and Prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin Industry Award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners, and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on- and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. So let's focus in on the trading firms operating in the crypto market. That landscape Mm -hmm. has evolved and is pretty interesting. What's your take? We've seen different headlines of now Citadel Securities is trying to work with Virtu on some sort of offering and then obviously Jump is an incumbent. They've probably been around the longest. I've noticed Jane Street is getting a bit more loud. How do you how do you see competition in that corner of the market shaping up especially with this new backdrop?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there were some firms who were very early on into crypto, Jump being sort of one of them. And, you know, they have grown very, very large and their crypto organization is maybe not in number of people, but certainly in revenue is much larger than the rest of their business. And then there there's a lot of firms who looked at the performance of these firms in 2020 and 2021 over the course of the pandemic. And was like, wow, we have to get into crypto ourselves. And so you've seen a lot of the more traditional players uh, start to get involved, and this is now including Virtu, which had been, you know, trading some cryptocurrency, but not a whole lot. You know, not a real business is now sort of committing much more to it. I think Citadel, you know, they've had a SkunkWorks project going on for a very long time you know, when it comes to trading crypto. And I think they're getting like really serious about it. And, and that's largely because like these guys run sort of very large, in addition to their prop business, they've run very large customer businesses. Customers are sort of demanding it as crypto sort of spreads throughout Wall Street. So yeah, I, I think like that's only going to continue to increase in its velocity despite the bear market, just because all these firms have been involved in traditional markets forever. Traditional markets are really tapped out. You know, it's it's hard to start a firm that trades U.S. equities today. Like it would take hundreds of millions of dollars to like be a serious player in that marketplace. But you can start trading crypto with tens of millions of dollars, you know, like and certainly if you're going to put hundreds of millions of dollars to work, like you got like a very serious prop trading business there.
0: Got it. So is that why you don't think this down market will impede those developments because the opportunity is, is there? Yeah, I think, I think the opportunity
1: is there, you know, certainly like the volumes and the volatility being lower is not great for trading firms, but I think we're still talking about different orders of magnitude from Traditional asset classes. And so, you know, there's still a ton of opportunity there. And so I, I would expect those firms to continue to invest. Where I think the bear market has issues is on the more proper institutional side of things, right? So you can kind of divide this into two camps. Like one would be sort of the banks. Last year, of course, crypto's going crazy. All the banks start to announce like, "Oh yeah, we have like crypto trading desk or we're adding crypto trading research, et cetera, et cetera." Like, I think you're going to see a lot of that, like you saw after 2017 collapse. If you remember, like Goldman Sachs hired two guys with man buns, and that was just it was like one too many man buns yeah. in there. And I, I don't, I don't think that there's any man buns today. And so. I think like a lot of those programs are sort of going to be retreat and maybe they don't like get out of it entirely, but they're not going to commit fully, you know, fully to it.
0: Or at least and then the other quiet. part
1: is, Oh, good. Sorry, Frank. So
0: you're kind of distinguishing between the advancements of banks and HFT firms. HFTs, trading firms are going to continue probably unabated, whereas the banks similar to 2018 will step back a bit or at least kind of settle down on it
1: i think so i think so and then i think on the asset manager side of things asset managers have been kind of tiptoeing into getting into crypto and i think you're going to see like because of a fallout from ust and luna and tether's ongoing sort of pr issues and this whole celsius thing that's happening now Plus the 70% drawdown or more in some coins, like I think you're gonna see just a lot more caution in those guys getting involved. They're already extremely conservative about getting into new asset classes and new things like crypto. And I just think that this type of bear market just slows that adoption even even further.
0: That's not good. That's another headwind.
1: It's another big headwind right for the marketplace and so you know that this is bear markets suck right Like I think that you get hit from kind of all sides in a bear market as sort of capital retrenches as conservative organizations rethink what their you know their commitment is and it's understandable, right If you are a 100 billion plus asset manager, in order to move the needle on your business, you have to plow significant resources and significant amount of capital into a new business, right? And so it's like, if there's something like crypto that is like really decreasing in size and decreasing in investment, and, you know, if you're you're not convinced, I, I'm convinced, you know, like I, I stake my career on it, but like I think a lot of very conservative asset managers probably not convinced that crypto is going to stay around. And so they're going to, be much more cautious about sort of getting into the space again. And it's probably going to take until the next bull market.
0: And what about the regulatory backlash that we'll probably see as a result of one thing after another? First, Luna, I mean, could you imagine if a commercial bank did to their clients what Celsius is doing? I mean, we're getting messages from people who literally can't top up their accounts.
1: I think a lot more regulation is coming. You know, we've had the whole Luna debacle last month. We've had the Celsius debacle here. I think that Gensler is licking his chops at, uh, you know, being able to actually come in and like actually take the lead here on the regulatory front. I think in a lot of respects, what makes, crypto great is also what gets it into so much trouble. You're able to kind of move fast and break things in crypto. And you see so much innovation because of that. But that means that like there are certain companies that are basically not doing what you could ever do in the traditional financial markets. And that's causing a ton of harm to consumers. Just talk about the anchor thing for now, right? Like, You had guys on TikTok advertising how they could buy a house for almost nothing because they just put their money into Anchor and then they got their 19 and a half percent. And like, there's countless examples of that in crypto. And I think it's, you know, I think it's really harmful to the story because there are for every one of those like Luna USTs there's like dozens and dozens of like earnest developers like really trying to make like a real difference, you know, in this space. And I think it like really it causes so much damage to everybody. Everybody gets a black mark from an instance like the UST
0: collapse. And it makes it seem like defi is not superior to traditional financial market structure.
1: Yeah, well, there was like a quote on Matt Levine this morning you know, his newsletter about how um, in the c world or the traditional financial world, like the regulators could come in and like seize your money or the bank can come in and seize your money in the crypto world. Hackers can just steal your money. (laughs) And so, you know, like it's it's a trade off. Right. You know, I think like in in we tend to think, you know, there's a free lunch here, you know, with DeFi or like. Oh wow, Anchor has 19.5% or I can just stick my two coins I own in a yield farm and you know earn like a whole bunch of free yield but like all that comes at a cost of either operational complexity or taking on a bunch of counterparty risk or just not well understood risk and I think like that's just that's the lesson we learn unfortunately in every bear market in crypto right it's like Everything's going up. It's like, yeah, there's like problems with DeFi, but like we're all making a ton of money in it, right? So it's like, who cares? You know, like a little bit of slippage. It's beyond, there.
0: It's beyond not understanding the risk, it's thinking that there is none.
1: I mean, <laughs> it, yeah, it's thinking it's thinking it's a bank account because like how many people understood how UST and Luna get converted back and forth, right? Like what that arbitrage mechanism, how many people like really, really understood that? Probably a few dozen in (laughs) the whole world. right. Uh, How many investors plowed in tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, like every bit of their savings into this account? A ton, right? A ton of people lost everything. And like, I think crypto maximalists can be very callous in just saying like, oh, well, you know, like, You you know, it's, that's the risk you took. Like if people don't understand those risks, how fair is it to really like give the blame to them? I I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair at all. And like, you know, I think that unfortunately incidents like that mean that there is going to be a way more regulatory scrutiny coming than there would be otherwise to, to stop some of these like really egregious
0: practices. Indeed. Well, we shall see. We will be watching. Jim, thank you for coming on the show today. Safe travels back from out there on the island.
1: Thank you, Frank. It was great talking to you and looking forward to catching up now that you're back in New York.
0: I can't wait. Once again, we've been joined today by our guest, Jim Greco, CEO at F9. Jim, give us your Twitter so folks can follow you and Learn more about market structure and and maybe some wine knowledge as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I should definitely post more wine posts and, and less crypto posts. I think, yeah, well, especially uh, in, this, in this, market. this bear bear market. Yeah, exactly. We need we need people to celebrate the good things and uh, step away from looking at prices all day. My Twitter account is my first initial last name, so it's J G R E C O J Greco. That's the Twitter handle. There it is.
0: All right, sir. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Thanks, man. Bye.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with you again with another great guest. Have a great day.